If you're new with us, we're uh, going through some of the royal psalms, these psalms that speak about uh, the Davidic king, that point us ahead to uh, the king of kings that we've just sung about. And today we're in Psalm 72, uh, just a glorious psalm. Let's pray together and we'll have a look at it. Father, it's a privilege to approach your word. As it's been said before, the Bible is the cradle wherein the Christ is laid. It's in your word that we see our Savior. And today I pray you give us fresh eyes to see his beauty, his glory. Christmas is good news because Easter is real. The word really became flesh, really dwelt among us, really was crucified, really rose from the dead. We pray you would set our hearts ablaze today with thoughts on our Christ. We pray this in his good name. Amen. Well, if you would permit me one more Hamilton illustration before the year is over, I promise not to do any more illustrations. But I've been saving this one because one of my favorite characters in uh, the musical uh, is King George III, the, the, uh, the king of England at the time. His first song, You'll Be Back, assumed that uh, England would win the Revolutionary War and that didn't turn out very well for them. And the next time he appears in a song called What Comes Next, he's irritated by the loss still and bothered by the fact that they're still in a, a war, this time with France and Spain. But my favorite appearance is when he appears um, and learns uh, about the fact that George Washington is stepping down as president. And the king can't imagine anyone stepping down from power and from leadership. And so he sings a song called I Know Him, in which he says, they say, George Washington's yielding his power and stepping away. Is that true? Some of you know this musical, it's hard not to try to sing it, but I, I won't do that. I wasn't aware that's something a person could do. I'm perplexed. Are they going to keep on replacing who's ever in charge? If so, who's next? There's nobody else in their country who looms quite as large. And then they whisper that John Adams is gonna take Washington's place. And he says, I know him. That can't be, that's that little guy who spoke to me. And he, he mocks uh, Adams and sits on his throne and wishes him good luck. Now when you read about Israel's kings in the Old Testament, you read about one king replacing another king over and over and over again. And it's not until you get to Jesus that you see that the promise of one sitting on David's throne forever is realized in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the irreplaceable king. He alone sits on the throne, never again to be replaced. He is the king to end all kings. He is, as Revelation says, the ruler of the kings on earth. And this psalm looks ahead to the king's universal dominion, his global dominion. And it paints, as you read through this, you think about a king in control, king in leadership, it paints a political fairy tale, quite honestly. When you read it, you're like, this, this never has happened in human history under anyone's leadership. As you read about the prayers for this king and what kind of king he would be, and you realize that in Jesus Christ, this political fairy tale is actually true. That when Christ comes again to establish his kingdom, then we will have good government. When he returns again and establishes his kingdom, then justice will be perfect. There will be absolute peace 
and he is an ideal king that will never be replaced. That's what Advent is about. It's about helping us look ahead, to lean forward to that day with great gospel optimism, believing that Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings on earth, is going to come and establish this new creation, and you and I, by God's grace, get to be a part of it. Now, we can look at this psalm in five parts. Number one, the king's righteous rule. Then the king's endless rule. Third, the king's boundless rule. Fourth, the king's gracious rule. And fifth, the king's famous rule. All of these should fill our hearts today with hope and peace. If anybody's in need of hope today, I got you. It's right here. If you're in need of peace today, of being settled in the midst of a chaotic and broken world, we've got good news right here. This passage is never quoted in the New Testament, but it's one of the royal psalms that's very, very similar to passages you read in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 60 to 62, for example. And in many Jewish traditions, it was read uh, even in David's day messianically as they were looking ahead to uh, the ideal king. And so as we look at it, we look at it with that in mind. Now, before we jump into the first part, notice at the, the superscription uh, of the psalm that says, of Solomon. And then at the end of the psalm, it says the prayers of David. Uh, and so how do we explain this, this idea? Is this from Solomon? Is this from David? It, it could be translated various ways. You could translate the of as two or four. So it could be for Solomon or from Solomon or kind of in the, in the, in the spirit of Solomon, the Solomonic tradition. It's not all that important that we, we tease it out, but I, I like the, the, the uh, translation that it's for Solomon written by David right before David's death, praying that these kinds of virtues and this kind of leadership would be present in Solomon's rule. And in fact, as some of the verses really do sound a lot like Solomon, at least early Solomon. As, as we get into it, you'll see the, the, how the prosperity and how the nations were coming, especially from Sheba. You remember the queen of Sheba that came to bring gifts to Solomon. So with all of that, still the focus is not on either David or Solomon. The, the focus today for our purposes is where this is all headed which is in the king of kings, Jesus himself. Okay, first of all, the king's righteous rule, the first four verses. You see, the importance of this idea of righteousness, it pops up uh, over and over again. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. And um, you, see, you see it again in verse 3, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. So the king is to rule righteously, ref reflecting uh, the character of God. He's to re re rule justly, which uh, reflects the, the character of God. That's what the, the kings, David and Solomon and others, were to do. They were to reflect the character of God. They were to make wise decisions, wise judgments, which they obviously did not do all the time. And the king was to have the Torah, the law, always before him. He was to make his own hand copy and read it day in and day out. And again, we see how these kings failed in all of this. And this justice that the king was to uh, convey and display would be revealed in one particular way, and that is to care for the poor, for the marginalized. You see that repeated in uh, these verses as we look at them today, right treatment of the poor, which was emphasized throughout the Old Testament. You see this uh, as well in the uh, passage in Isaiah 11, speaking ahead about the Messiah, that he will 
rule righteously and shall judge the poor with equity. And so we see in these four verses, notice verse four, he says, may he defend the cause of the poor and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. So there's a liberation, there's care for the poor, but there's also the execution of taking care of the oppressor also. And so we see, as we see elsewhere in the Bible, that God is deeply concerned about the poor. He's, he's also uh, ex- expects and commands his people to reflect his own character for the poor. Proverbs, for example, in, uh, or excuse me, Psalm 41, blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Or Proverbs 17, 15, the one who mocks the poor insults his maker. God cares about those who are created in his image. And you see this execution of, of, of caring for the poor, again, in the Messiah, particularly in Luke's gospel, you see Luke uh, gives a, a big emphasis to this theme, Jesus caring for the poor in all sorts of ways. Uh, you recall Luke 14 when he says, if you're going to have a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind because they cannot repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He is the ideal king who is mindful of the weak. He's mindful of the marginalized. He's mindful of those who are oppressed. And under this righteous rule, this this plea in verse 3 will be a reality in new creation. Let the mountains bear prosperity. That's the, the Hebrew word shalom. Let the mountains uh, uh, bear peace. May there be total well-being in the hills because righteousness is dwelling. And we long for that. So Jesus is the ultimate just ruler. He rules righteously. He cares for the poor. You recall Jesus' very first sermon in, Isaiah, uh, in Luke chapter 4 as he takes the Isaiah scroll and reads it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to, to proclaim good news to the poor. And he proclaimed good news to the poor through the message of the gospel, through his own care for them, uh, how they, they, they were promised a share in the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, Isaiah uh, says, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Liberty for those who are oppressed. That included healing the sick, casting out demons, forgiving sins, his own ethical teachings that promote social justice. Jesus is the righteous king. He's the just king who cares for the least of these. Secondly, he's not only the righteous king, he's the endless king. We see the king's endless rule in verses 5 to 7. May they fear you while the sun endures. So the proper response to this king is one of awe. It's one of reverence. May they stand in awe of you as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. So as a result of this king's rule, the people stand in awe of him, and this reverence is to go on as long as creation lasts, right? And you notice here this this eschatological thrust to this text that no human king could receive perpetual worship except for Christ. He is to be praised and blessed forever. And as this righteous ruler rules, he brings blessing. And I love the imagery, don't you? Uh, Like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. That's what his leadership is like. You don't hear that said about a lot of leaders today. What's his leadership like? It's like rain that falls on the mown grass. It's just like a beautiful garden. It's, It's where there's prosperity, there's peace, there's harmony. 
The people prosper under the ideal king. They're at peace under the ideal king. And this was, again, partly you see some of these things in Solomon's life. But as uh, one writer has put it, the banks overflow in these royal psalms. One king cannot contain all of these things. He never meets all of these expectations. There was a time early on in Solomon's rule where uh, it is said of Solomon, every man sat under his own vine and fig tree, that there was prosperity. It's this kind of idea. But we know that all unraveled eventually. But in Jesus Christ, we experience refreshment. We experience blessing. And eventually, he will glorify us. He will restore creation. He will restore paradise. And all the, the poet can do here is, is write these, these beautiful phrases to try to explain it. We're trying to convey the idea of human flourishing and peace. It's a glorious vision of the kingdom of God. Now, there's an old hymn writer, Isaac Watts. He wrote a hymn based on this psalm called Jesus Shall Reign. wrote it in 1719. Jesus shall reign where the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Blessings abound where e'er he reigns. The prisoner leaps to loose his chains. The weary find eternal rest and all the sons of want are blessed. And this particular hymn inspired the famous Olympic gold medalist, Eric Little, who won the gold medal in 1924. You may be familiar with the movie Chariots of Fire. And he was this Scottish Olympic hero who went to be a missionary in China. And many remember his departure from Edinburgh. He was accompanied to the train station. And there uh, he gathered up the people, Eric Little, and he said to them, let our motto be Christ for the world, for the world needs Christ. And then he led two songs or two stanzas of Jesus shall reign. That's what they were singing as they sent away an American hero or Scottish hero to eventually die in a foreign land because he had a vision of Psalm 72. He had a vision of this kingdom. It's a glorious vision. Thirdly, we see not only the king's righteous rule and the king's endless rule, but we see the king's boundless rule. Notice how the, the boundaries are now brought into it. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. So this blessing will cover the whole earth, right? From the, from the sea to the ends of the earth, he will rule over all. And you notice how he begins to list out the various groups of people that will bring him praise, the desert people, that is nomadic people who traditionally resist control. They will delight to honor the king. His enemies also will pay homage to him. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then he adds, Tarshish, that was to the west, close to modern-day Spain. The Isles, that speaks of the Mediterranean. Again, far western areas at the time. And then areas of the south. Sheba, that's uh, Arabia. And Seba, which is in Africa. All of the nations you see here. And again, this is just bundled up in all these royal psalms, how the nations are always in view because Jesus is not a tribal king. He's king over all. And what unites the, the, the people 
is, is this, this uh, shared praise and tribute that they bring to him. Again, you recall the glories of Solomon in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 9. Uh, the Queen of Sheba comes and she, she looks at all of his stuff and hears his wisdom and she says, the half has not been told to me. The writer says that it literally took her breath away to, to see the glory of Solomon. And then we read on down in that chapter how uh, the kings of Arabia were bringing gifts to Solomon. And then all, it says all of the kings of the world were coming to hear his wisdom, but it all pales in comparison to the one who is greater than Solomon. And they bring him praise. They bring him adoration. There's another old hymn that's written based on Psalm 72 from a guy named James Montgomery called Hill to the Lord's Anointed. I like this one. He wrote it saying, Arabia's desert ranger, to him shall bow the knee. The Ethiopian stranger, his glory come to see. With offerings of devotion, ships from the isles shall meet to pour the wealth of ocean in tribute at his feet. It's a glorious vision of where all of history is headed. History is not a treadmill going nowhere. It is all moving to every tribe, people, language, and nation gathered around this king, bringing him praise. That's where we're going. And he says here that in verse 11, the kings will fall down before him and they will serve him. So this is a picture of the healing of the nations. Where there was conflict, there is now peace. Where there was strife, there's now united praise. And we long for that in our day, don't we? It's a world of conflict. Tim Keller writes about this saying, the races and nations always at war with one another now offer themselves in service, not because they have been conquered, but rather because they have been attracted like a magnet by the perfect justice and compassion of this king. No earthly king has ever been like this. This healing of racial strife and the elimination of poverty and injustice are the marks of God's kingdom. But governments, even the best ones, don't come close. Yet when Jesus was born, gifts were offered from afar, and when the church was established, the races began to be united, and the needy helped. The kingdom of God had entered history. So let us reflect these values. We should work and pray for kind of reconciliation that the Bible speaks about, unity among races and classes, because we are the king's people. And we should long to see the nations worship this king, to worship him with us. As the psalmist says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Number four, we see not only the king's righteous rule and the king's endless rule and the king's boundless rule, but we see the king's gracious rule. He returns to this topic of caring for the poor in verse 12, for he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. You recall the great passage in Job 29 when Job is talking about his ethical life and he says, he kind of echoes this idea that he delivered the one who had no helper. And it's a, it's a sad condition to, to, to be in need and to have no one there to assist, no one there to listen, no one there to help. But this king, as powerful as he is, is mindful of the poor. He's mindful of the needy. It says in 13, he has pity on the weak and the needy and he saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. This king acts. This king acts with compassion. 
this past week, uh, some of the staff, we had a call with uh, IGP, Invisible Girl Project here, with their, their workers on the ground in India as they attempt to, to fight female gender side, the killing of little girls. And as we listened to their stories, I had this passage on my mind and I read verse 13 to them. He has pity on the weak and the needy and he saves the lives of the needy, precious as their blood in his sight. And I told those just wonderful girls, as, as much as you care about this, know that your God cares even more. He cares about people who are made in his image. And he comes to give life he comes to heal the broken, and we as his people share his concerns. We are to do what we can to alleviate suffering and depression. We're to do what we can to save human lives. We're to do what we can to see people released from slavery. All of it done in Jesus' name and for his glory. That's the kind of king we have. We have a great king. Finally, we see here the king's righteous rule, his endless rule, his boundless rule, his gracious rule. And finally, we see here the king's famous rule. The text just continues to flower as it says, Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him on all the day. May there be an abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him and all the nations call him blessed. So after speaking here of the king's character, the psalmist asked that this king would live forever. I mean, if you had the perfect king, you would want him to always be the king. And of course, Israel would confess we have never had a king like this, but of the Messiah, we say, we say today, he shall reign forever. And in light of his greatness, the writer exclaims, may, may gold be given to him, may praise be given to him, may prayers be given to him, may blessing be given to him. And today our prayer is made really simple. It is your kingdom come. It is Maranatha. Bring this today, Lord Jesus. And in verse 16, the people are blessed under this king. Because this king brings flourishing. May abundance of grain be in the land. And the tops of the mountains may it wave. So even in places where you wouldn't really plant stuff, on tops of mountains, it's even bearing fruit. It's flourishing everywhere. It's waving like Lebanon. Lebanon had the, the massive trees. It's, I've called it the Lebanon wave. You know, that, that there's, there's flourishing everywhere. This is, again, I think, uh, typological to a new creation that will come as paradise will be restored. This is where we're headed. This is where history is headed. May his fame continue as long as the sun. And all the nations call him blessed. You can hear the Abrahamic narrative, can't you? That through this one, through Abraham, all the, of the nations would be blessed. They will call him blessed. This is a vision of a perfect king. This is the kind of rule everyone longs for. It didn't happen in Israel and it hasn't happened yet, but it will. And his name will be extolled forever. Think about how many people and how many leaders have disappointed you in your life. I venture to say if you've ever had a leader of any kind, they've disappointed you at some point. Even some of the greatest leaders in Israel's history, Moses, David, Hezekiah, failed. 
disappointed. But our king has never failed us one time. And he never will fail us. Jesus Christ never disappoints. And he is to be praised. He is the famous king. And that leads to this doxology at the end of the psalm, verse 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things or extraordinary things. He is to be praised for his wondrous acts, the greatest of all, of sending Jesus into this world to be our Savior. We bless him for his wondrous works. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. And this prayer will be answered eventually. We see it echoed in Habakkuk 2.14, Isaiah 11.9, that one day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Right now, our world is filled with conflict, anger, violence, abuse, death, illness, corrupt governments, lies, betrayal, heartache, but soon our king will come and the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. And all things will be made new. That's Advent. The psalm is beautifully prophetic and eschatological, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And our peace today, our hope today is found in his righteous rule, his endless rule, his boundless rule, his gracious rule, and his famous rule. He is the incomparable and irreplaceable king. And these longings for a righteous reign, this, this hope for this gracious rule, for oppression to be removed and the earth restored, we will behold that. We will experience that. One day, church, our faith will end in sight and we will see this reality. And until that day, we live our lives by faith and with great confidence. We have a great king and we bless his name and we want the nations to bless his name. There's no one like him. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, we bless you today our beautiful Messiah, the one our hearts have always longed for, grateful for the grace you have already given us in salvation, and we're, we look forward to the grace that will be ours on the day of your return. I pray you would settle our hearts today. Give us the hope that this passage brings that we need today. As we prepare to take the table today, we are mindful of the nations who need to hear of this Messiah, the good news. I pray that the good news would be on our lips and I pray that your people would embody these ethical virtues of caring for the poor, the powerless, that we would put on display before a watching world the love of Jesus Christ toward the broken and the hurting. Make us people who care, give us big hearts and make us people who bring good news. We pray this thing today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.